Thanks for joining us for Vulnerable Now, the podcast series that aims to offer fresh perspectives on investing in a constantly evolving market landscape. I am Andrew Crook, your host. And in this episode, we welcome two speakers, Walter Van Overfelt, who's head of emerging markets corporate bonds, and Cosmo Jang, a senior research analyst in the firm's fixed income research team. Thanks to you both for joining us. Walter, I'm going to jump right in and start with you. Today, we're looking at finding income in a low-yielding world. So EMs has one route to do that. Why is there so much hype about the income potential of emerging markets? I think emerging markets fixed income indeed is one of the few sources today in in a low-yielding world where there is still some yield available. And so that is the reason why it is a source of income for many investors. And and the reason behind, I think, is on the one hand side, emerging markets is still, for many investors, certainly in the developed world, an exotic asset class. And that means that issuers in emerging markets need to pay a little bit more than developed market issuers. But at the same time, emerging markets are also the growth engine of the world. And that means that there is a lot of potential for price upside. And having price upside and a high carry, of course, leads to high income. So I think that is the reason why emerging markets are all the rage today. Cosmo, from your point of view, what are some of the key emerging market trends that investors should pay close attention to over the coming months? Fundamental side, we noticed the biggest trends for the coming months to the end of this year will be coming from reflation from U.S., and US dollar index strength, and also commodity cycle and the commodity prices. These are put fundamental impacts on EM credit spread. While on technical side, since I'm mainly focusing on Asia, I'm focusing on fund flow. We put a C inflow in the past and noticed that also occurred again according to JP Morgan. EM bond inflow in the past weeks increased substantially to 1.7 billion. Out of that, 1 billion was hard currency funds. We noticed that the fund inflow is a technical support. However, risk appetite in especially in Asia still conservative. I'm not saying it's a risk off now, but people are still cautious because of the concerns on the credit risk in the region, particularly from China and India. For Chinese side, we notice credit risk in the property sector and also from some delivery regime policy risk on SOE LGFVs. Indian risk side, we are mindful of the second wave of COVID that could put pressure on the fundamental and the credit side. While technical side, we think people basically stay cautious at this moment. This is basically kind of EM trend we noticed, especially in Asia. Thank you. So, Walter, bearing this in mind, how do you think investors should view opportunities in emerging markets generally as they look to generate income in their portfolios? What the advantage of emerging markets is, is that we're really talking about a multitude of countries, a multitude of industries, And above all, there's always something going on in emerging markets. And so it's the diversity in emerging markets that, first of all, offers decorrelation for investors, 
but also because there's always something going on. There's also the potential for active managers to generate price upside and thereby income. So, of course, you need to be confident in the investment process and you, you need to have confidence in your manager. Within Von Tobel, we call this emerging market corporates the active manager's paradise. Thank you. And Cosmo, you sit physically close to Asia and your experience and background is very much in the region. So given what Walter said around this global diversity in relation to emerging market sovereigns and corporates and various opportunities, how do you think this benefits Asian investors as they look to diversify? I believe the largest diversification benefits is to smooth the drawdown and the volatility for Asia portfolios. Because we noticed that in the past, although the interest income for Asia assets are high, but the volatility also high, and we saw huge drawdown. For Asia fund managers, if you want to smooth your drawdown volatility, uh, one of the best ways to diversify out of Asia into global yen, corporates and sovereign. Walter, if we think about Asian credit specifically, what markets and sectors do you see as offering a good source of yield and why would that be the case? Many people tend to think about markets and industries, but actually in Von Tobel, we think that's not the way to look into emerging markets. We don't care so much about industry because industry is more, I would say, a macroeconomic trend and we are more selecting the credits in that sense. And so I think that's also what differentiates us from many of our peers. So what we try to do is try to find credits that are attractive for different reasons. And that implies either a relative value trade, meaning that some credit offers a better opportunity versus some other credit. So it's cheap versus another credit than we count on the mean reversion. And that would be, of course, within the industry, for example, or within the country. And then the other possibility that we have is more idiosyncratic stories. And I think that is the essence, in a way, of active management. So what we try to achieve here is we try to find companies that have been unduly punished or have huge price upside, but for reasons specific to the company. And so what I would say then to to your question, I think there's many opportunities today in China. We see some heightened volatility in China, but also in Latin America, I think Argentina still in trouble. And there's some very good companies that are actually trading at relatively depressed prices there. And same we see now political turmoil arising in Colombia, Chile. As I said in the beginning, there's always something going on in emerging markets. And the key is really to be active and to be conscious about the risk you're taking and then try to benefit from the price upside that is truly available in that asset class. So Cosmo, but we have been working on a few Asia credits uh, recently, and I think you can probably give a little bit more detail about, about some of the situations that we think are particularly attractive in China today. First, we want to specify we are more focusing on the offshore Chinese markets rather than onshore. These are two markets, and onshore is quite uh, different. With our focus on the offshore hard currency markets, I would like to expect a high carry from those holding positions and also are from the trading positions, especially what we're doing now in a stress-distressed and special situation bonds. However, 
I really want to emphasize there is a key issue for those Chinese markets is the credit risk and the credit selection based on bottom-up fundamental oriented research analysis. That's the key for this market. Thanks for that, Cosmo. Um, but, uh, following on from what Cosmo talked about there towards the end and potential considerations and risks, broadly, some market participants refer to emerging market corporates as an exotic asset class. Why is that? Yeah, I think that is logical, right? I mean, first of all, I think many people are more familiar with equity than with fixed income to start with. And then if you go within the fixed income, it's probably true that emerging market corporates is the more exotic, I would say more newer asset class. We have seen the development of the sovereigns in the early 90s. And then it's actually really early 2000 that JP Morgan for the first time created a corporate benchmark, but it was relatively small. And then with the rise of China in particular, Asia has become dominant and also the asset class has grown tremendously. But I think it takes time for people to realize that this is an asset class in its own right. And when I talk to clients, what I observe is that many clients are indeed not familiar with emerging market corporates when they think about emerging markets fixed income in the first place, because very often they only think about equity, as I said. But when they do think about emerging markets fixed income, they typically think about either the sovereign in hard currency or the sovereign in local currency, but they don't normally think about EM corporate. So there is some work to do for us as investors in that asset class to explain the, the merits of the asset class. But I think it also has an advantage, right? I think it's exactly because the asset class is so underappreciated that the companies have to pay more to attract investors to invest in the asset class. Cosmo, from your point of view, are some of the risks perceived versus real? We noticed in the past experience, the perceived risk on EM normally higher than true risk. Here, when we say true risk, we mean the default risk from credit side. And of course, there are some cases, the perceived risk is actually lower than real risk, but we have a lower chance on that. We talk about the higher perceived risk than true risk, mainly from the home buyers from those like uh, rating premiums being assigned to EM credits and also people's lacking of understanding of the uh, EM systems. For example, like the government sponsorship in EM countries, for example, Chinese credits, SOEs. And also uh, it's hard for people out of EM to fully understand the corporate governance risk as a result that gives a huge perceived risk for EM credits versus the true default risk. Other than my thoughts, is there any other common misperception among investors to EM credits from your understanding? What I would add, and, and what is certainly very important today, is that people are always focused on credit risk and on default risk. And as Cosmo rightfully indicated, I think in, in emerging market corporates, you are more than compensated for this risk and you can actually diversify it away. But many people are not conscious enough, in my opinion, about the interest rate risk. 
And so when I meet clients, very often people ask me about how many single B credits do you have? How many triple C credits do you have? And so they're clearly concerned about credit risk. But nobody ever asks me, how many 30-year bonds do you actually have? And today, in this low interest rate, low yielding environment, I think the main risk is actually rising rates. And I think instead of being afraid of credit risk and default risk, people should focus on which credits have actually the potential to see credit improvement and spread tightening. And that will protect you more in a rising rate environment than, for example, going to a short duration fund. So I think people should be more conscious, I think, about the interest rate risk they are taking. And what about liquidity? How do investors ensure that when buying into emerging market fixed income opportunities? The asset class has grown tremendously. And that means that the liquidity has also improved quite a lot. Of course, there are always smaller companies with small issues outstanding that are not very liquid. But the question ultimately is also, do you get compensated for the liquidity risk or not? And I think that is important. That is our job as investors in the asset class. But what I would also say is that illiquidity and inefficiency or two sides of the same coin, actually. And so whenever a bond is not very liquid, it also means that there is more opportunity to analyze it carefully and come to the right conclusion. And if you select a good credit that is improving, that has good growth prospects, probably the liquidity will improve when people start to realize how good the credit really is. So I think liquidity and inefficiency are two sides of the same coin offers opportunities in the asset class. Thanks, that, Walter. Cosmo, in terms of sustainability, the focus on ESG is top of mind, obviously, for many investors. So if we're thinking about different and interesting sources of income, what's your view on green debt? Sustainability and uh, green bonds currently is an unstoppable trend global-wide. However, we noticed that the Asian investors, they are lagging behind the European and American investors, especially European institutions on this front, which gives us opportunity. I will talk about later. On the other hand, there are catch up among Asian green bond issues, and they are picking up quite rapidly in the past year we notice there is an opportunity for us as a European investor. We understand the premium offered by green bonds. While we could pick that up in Asia, green bonds issues. Often, we notice in the past, according to JP Morgan statistics, average premium of green bonds versus long green bonds has been 33 bips for IG and 48 bips for high yield. We expect this will be seen in Asia and that offers an extra value premium for us as a global EM investor. So this brings us towards the end of this podcast. So for any investors who would like to take action now, in terms of meeting income needs via emerging market opportunities, there are clearly a lot of factors and dynamics that they have to bear in mind. So, Walter, maybe you can give us a sense of what credit work is needed to make sure that those sources of income 
that they identify are resilient. Every credit is in a way uh, unique. What I would say here, and, and maybe that's too long for the conclusion, but many people focus on fundamentals in the company. And I would say that is about ability to pay. But for us, equally important is also willingness to pay. And that is about incentives of stakeholders. And I think they're crucially important to understand the, the incentives of the various stakeholders in, in any credit to understand if the credit will eventually be willing to pay back or not. And I think that is what really matters. And I think that is where you need a manager with experience. Thank you. And Cosmo, from your perspective? You know, not share. I believe it's a, this is a two-way road. It's a, the, not just the global funds diversify into EM, into Asia, but also Asia capital and portfolio managers diversify out of Asia into global EM. There are incomes across global EM for different type of investors. I want to emphasize the key here is three things. I think first is you must have this true global EM investing capability being cultivated in the past years with a solid track record. And the second, you also need a flexible mandate to take advantage of all those opportunities in both beta and alpha from EM investing. And of course, last one, you have to avoid those herd mindset and sometimes you have to have a contrarian style and with focusing on fundamental and the bottom up. So that brings us to the end of our session today. We've explored lots of different opportunities in generating income via emerging markets, sovereign and a corporate level, and lots of insights have been shared around considerations when doing so. So Walter and Cosmo, thank you so much for that. To everyone listening, we appreciate your time and we look forward to sharing more insights with you again soon. Thank you. This recording is for information purposes only, and nothing contained in this recording should constitute a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any investment instruments, to affect any transactions, or to conclude any legal act of any kind whatsoever, except as permitted under applicable copyright laws. None of this information may be reproduced, adapted, uploaded to a third party, linked to, framed, performed in public, distributed, or transmitted in any form by any process without the specific written consent of Vontabel. To the maximum extent permitted by law, Vontabel will not be liable in any way for any loss or damage suffered by you through the use or access to this information, or Vontabel's failure to provide this information. Our liability for negligence, breach of contract, or contravention of any law as a result of our failure to provide this information, or any part of it, or for any problems with this information, which could not be lawfully excluded, is limited at our option and to the maximum extent permitted by law to resupply this information or any part of it to you, or to pay for the resupply of this information or any part of it to you. Keep in mind that past performance is not a reliable indicator of current or future performance, and forecasts are inherently limited and should not be relied upon as an indicator of future performance.